This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So at The Forging Table, you will see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That is Ryan, that's Derek, that's Eric. Guys, we are digging into 1 Timothy 1. So uh, we we did uh, Galatians, and now we're moving on to 1 Timothy. So this is written by Paul as well. The date of this letter was likely written between, you know, 60, and 64 AD, according to my research. And this is a letter from mentor to mentee. Okay. And so this is a very important way to kind of look at this, to look at how is Paul communicating to somebody who is trying to, to learn from him and who he's basically trying to leave a legacy with so that he can continue spreading the gospel. Um, and then also it's, it's kind of like a father and son thing as well, because uh, Paul looks at Timothy as a son in a lot of ways. And you can see that come throughout the letter. Now, uh, what we do know about this letter is that it was a personal letter that was meant for Paul to send and for it to be seen uh, by Timothy's eyes. But you can see several other areas in the letter where it becomes apparent that the letter is that Paul wanted this letter to be more widely, you know, utilized and he wanted the the message to be spread out. It wasn't just for Timothy's eyes only. Uh, and the, the letter addresses uh, a lot of issues that were happening at the church in Ephesus at that time. Um, and this is considered one of the pastoral epistles. And so even in, you know, just this first chapter, there's so much that we can get into. Uh, and I certainly have stuff that I want to get into, but I wanted to kind of set it up for anybody else that wanted to say something about first Timothy, the letter overall, what does anybody got? I understand it to be one of the last, if not the last, one of the last two letters written before um, Paul died. Yeah, I think Titus was the second one, wasn't it? That I don't remember. But I I remember one being the last. If they are, they're both based on church leadership. Right. So, I mean, it gets pretty deep into what a church should, should look like and how it should be set up. And I think right from the beginning, of course, we have the greeting here, because uh, again, this is even in a personal letter, there's kind of a formal greeting, but then we get right into a warning against false teachers. And so we we had this when we were going over Galatians, we were talking about the Judaizers, people that were like, yeah, 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 you know, the blood of Christ and all that kind of stuff, the cross, but here's all this other stuff that we should do. But even there are false teachers here that are kind of doing something even a little bit different. And regardless of when you guys are listening to this, whatever the current moment is, there are false teachers all over the place. They have big churches. They have enormous Instagram accounts. They have a lot of followers uh, and subscribers on YouTube and all of that. But you have to go back to the book to see is what they, is what they're saying. Is it good theology? Not, not is it conservative theology, but is it theology that is really has the, the Bible as its foundation? And, you know, it may seem like I'm skipping ahead just a little bit here, but I, I go all the way to, to verse seven here, but I'll start with verse six. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. So I don't know that there's ever been something that was written 2000 years ago that seems more applicable to our current moment in terms of like social media and things like that. I remember last year when I was talking to Elisa Childers about her new book, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, why, 
By the gospel? No, uh, gosh. And so she had another gospel, and then it was, uh, oh, yeah. God, speak your truth, or uh, yeah. God bless. I just forgot. I'm so sorry, Lisa. It's a great book, and you know, I'm glad that, that you sent it over to me. It'll come to me like in the middle of somebody else talking. Oh, it's live your truth. Live your yeah. truth in other lives. There we go. Nice live your job. truth well in done. other lives. Well done. I made it. Um, so we can still be friends. But she's talking about in that book, and we were talking about it on my show. I was basically talking about how you know, she and I are both, I guess you could call us influencers in, in the Christian space. And she's kind of an influencer for females, especially, but also she has more of a mixed crowd, whereas I'm more so focused on the men's audience. But I, I would hope to never, ever be able to have somebody quote first Timothy one seven to me and be like, that's you, bro. Like you're, you're making these assertions and you have no understanding of what you're saying, but you're just being confident, which I think goes back to a prideful man, which obviously I struggle with pride. And, you know, that's why I say in, in my, you know, how to avoid being a crappy man uh, thing at the beginning of every year. One of the things I put in there is if you don't know how to do something, don't pretend like you do because yep. you're robbing yourself of a, of a opportunity to learn, but you're also robbing someone else of an opportunity to teach. And I mean, even if you know the lingo, everyone's going to kind of know that you, you don't know what you're talking about and you, you just seem like a prideful fool, but that's where I really jumped. That's the first thing that really jumped out of me on this first letter uh, from Paul to Timothy is just this overall idea about, look, there are false teachers amongst you that sound confident they look good while they're saying it, but they're full of crap. Well, the other thing is too, you brought up social media. I mean, like who, whose mind are you ever going to change on social media? And you get on me. Wait, now, wait a time. minute. No, 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 no. See, we, we need to back up a little bit here because he just brought that in as if that was his own wisdom, because literally for the last two years, this guy, Ryan Horn sitting right across from me, he has never found a, like a, a argument too small to have with somebody on social media. And I've been on him literally for the last two years, but I will just say, Hey, Ryan, uh, how many people are changing their worldview based on your well-crafted comments to their comments and your responses and things like that? And shockingly, I know this is going to be shocked to everybody in the audience. No one ever changes their worldview based on your really well-crafted comments. You know what? I think you're right. I actually reached maybe one guy and I think it was on, uh, Elisa's, uh, uh, Facebook and he's, you know, he's dealing with deconstruction. Uh, and, uh, he and I actually had good conversations cause yeah, I made, I made, did, I did he think that you were a dude or that you were your wife? Why would he? I guess it, he knew I was a dude. Okay. So, no, I was, why would I be honest as my wife? Oh, I, I, maybe I misunderstood what Facebook. you said. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, oh, so he's I posting from his profile. Oh, yeah, right, right. from my profile. I wasn't so pretending confused. to be my wife. Like, I was like, that's so Hey, I'm just dude, serving have, for dudes on Facebook. <laughs> no, I think Eric is accusing you of having a burner account. That's awesome. <laughs> chick. I do have, I do have a burner account, but you have access to uh, that. Linda Horn. Yeah. Okay. Stop it. Stop it. No, but no, I mean, he and I had some like pretty good discussions in regards to how he, he was a, he was a big, he was big into Ray Comfort stuff and I like Ray, you know, but he just, you know, he got, felt like he got burned by the church and is going through a, you know, a patch of, I think just dealing with uh, church hurt. And, um, he and I had discussions on that. I don't think I ever changed his mind, but I was just there to talk to him, you know? Um, so I, I've learned to kind of like tone it down. I mean, you're not going to change anybody's mind on Facebook. You're not going to change anybody's mm -hmm. mind on Twitter. Usually when I, if I make a comment, it comes out sarcastically. So it's not very fruitful. It doesn't lead to fruitful discussions. But like, that's the thing to look at though, too. Like, look at these false teachers that do have, you know, uh, accounts on, on Twitter. And then look at the people commenting. Like, if you write something that's cultural or worldly, and you're trying to wrap that around the gospel, like in, in people who are not Christians or atheists and 
and are not believers are agreeing with you and like, yeah, yeah, I like that. You know, like that's a guy you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to follow that guy. If the world's going to think what you're saying is right. Uh, I'm going to second guess whether you're, you're a, a, a good teacher or not. Well, I agree. And, and I think a teacher is a good clarification there, Ryan, because what this talks about when it, when I look at verse sixes, verses six and seven, from which some having strayed, having turned aside towards idle talk, they desire to be teachers of the law. And I read an article a long time ago, maybe Gina, my wife read an article and was telling me about it is really there are speakers and there are teachers, right? And here it, it talks about, Paul talks about hey, teachers are held to a higher standard. Uh, we are held accountable for those that we call underneath us and we teach to, but there are speakers and teachers. Speakers, they're eloquent, they're exciting, they're engaging, but they don't actually, they might entertain, but they don't teach. And then there are teachers, right, who actually want uh, the other people to understand what they're talking about and to grow and develop in their, it's specifically here, grow and develop in their understanding of Christ and their faith. Mm-hmm. Which, which means they'll be challenged. They're yeah. not going to be not receiving flattery. Right. You know, yeah, you guys are doing great. You know, it's, right. there's a challenge to that. You'll see in some churches, they have a teaching pastor and that teaching pastor, like I always say, better come with the word, you better come with the gospel. You better, you better know what you're talking about and it better be fruitful. And then you have your discipleship pastor or your lead pastor that can lead through discipleship and shepherding. But I don't think it matters what your title is as a pastor. You should always be shepherding. Sure. You know, sure. Um, I mean, and that's, I think what we're getting away with with large churches is, you know, how are we, how are you shepherding your flock, you know, and what's your flock doing, you know, because that's going to be your fruit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, do you, do you kind of see it like uh, played out in where you're just gonna getting a whole bunch of anecdotal stories and then maybe they throw in a, a verse like yeah. once sprinkle it with some verses. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, you get the, they Googled the specific term yeah. that they're going to talk about and find the three verses that match. And my favorite one is like when you're like looking at the verses that they put up there and you're like, you know, like the first one's like Nasby and then it's like, and then it's message. And then it's like, Oh, I need this to fit. Like, you know, if they're talking about Phoebe, well, I need this to fit my narrative. So let's go ahead and go with the uh, contemporary version. Cause that says elder instead of, you know, deaconess, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so those always make me laugh, but I mean, you can see, you can see the teeth in a sheep on those type of sheep. And you should always be looking there should be discernment on who, who you're learning from and, and what you're learning from. But it's also good to, you know, chew up the meat and spit out the bones too. I'm not saying don't listen to anybody. Don't, you know, but, be discerning in terms of discernment it's also like do you so so what exactly is this message that you're getting from these people can it be can it be taken back to the gospel but also are you building your ministry around a personality or are you saying hey follow me as i follow christ and so that's something for me to say because a lot of people listen to the show because they like my personality they like how i cover faith culture and politics but it's one thing if I were to be preaching a false gospel whenever we do talk about the gospel or if I'm taking people back to to capital T truth. And I've talked about this before with with a guy like Matt Walsh because he gets in a lot of dust-ups about the transgender issue or about, uh, you know, even last year on Joe Rogan's show, he got into, uh, you know, in a discussion about gay marriage and, you know, why it's important and all that. And this is a guy that purports to be a Christian, you know, Catholic, you know, believer, those types of things. But he he has some consternation and hesitation about pointing people back to the truth and his, the, 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 the author of truth and capital T truth in and of itself. And the problem with something like that is his argument. I understand, you know, 
from a political standpoint or philosophical standpoint is like, well, if somebody doesn't believe in God or believe in the Bible and I make that the basis of my argument, then I'm not going to be able to sway them. And I'm sensitive to that argument. I completely understand that because I can convince you to be pro-life and not use a single scripture mm-hmm. whatsoever. But if somebody were to ask, why is human life valuable? I can't explain that using a, a Bunsen burner and a beaker and, you know, the periodic table. Like I, I need to, to go to why we know that human life has value, why we're different than the other, you know, created beings that are on this planet. But I, I do really struggle and it makes me fearful that when you build up these ministries based on someone's personality, like a Ravi Zacharias or a Bill Hybels or a Carl Lentz, like people that we've seen fall, it's like, okay, you can't build a ministry around a personality. Right. And, and there are people that haven't fallen that may never fall. So you have like a Joel Osteen or a Stephen Furtick or a Craig Rochelle or any of these types of people. These are men that may never fall. They may never, they may never do anything that's outside of, I guess, proper culture or things like that. But it becomes a massive struggle because it's like, what if something happens to that guy? Your entire ministry implodes. Derek, you and I have talked about this a lot. We used to do some things with ministries that focused on Wild at Heart, and everything they did was about Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, and and no matter what. And obviously, we're big fans of John Eldridge here, and he's been on the show more than anybody else. But if I, as I would always bring up to this group, is like if John Eldridge decides he wants to like chop his wife's head off, light his kids on fire, and then go on a shooting rampage, your ministry doesn't exist anymore because you built the entire thing based off of one man's words and one man's personality, and you weren't focused as much on the gospel, on Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. Well, I mean, isn't that Jim Collins's book? Um, good to great. Good to I great. Mean, that's yeah. level four leadership, right? I mean, because it's built around that level four leader. And so uh, if you want to get really cheesy here, we could just say, well, Jesus is really a level five leader. That's what Jesus, but yeah, he's kind of outside uh, the continuum, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I think Kyle, your point is correct. You're, you're, and Ryan to you, to you as well is, okay, if we're going to discern what is truth, how do we discern? And this is a question I'd love to hear you guys um, your, your perspective on this, how do we actually discern truth? Th- this might be for a listener or somebody who's, who's walking in, not knowing if they're under a, a false teacher or a true teacher, not understanding if who they, what podcast they should listen to or not listen to. How do we, as believers walking with Christ, how do we discern truth? How do we do that? It's, and I, I actually went through this in my life. Um, you know, we were in a church for six years. I just showed up. You know, we listened to the message, if you did listen, and um, we just, we were just going through the motions, and then all of a sudden, you know, the pastor starts saying certain things, and I'm like, that doesn't really sound right, and then he has somebody come and speak, and I'm like, whoa, that guy's way off, you know, and then that guy who came and spoke, um, he uh, has like a newsletter, so I go and read the newsletter, and I'm like, whoa, 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 like, this is not biblical at all. Here's the thing I realized, I never opened my Bible. I, the pastor never implored us to open our Bible. You know, it was he like, basically said, listen to me. It's like, right. yeah, it's like the reformation, you know, it's exactly. like, Hey, it's like, he might just as well trust just, us. Yeah, yeah, just trust me. You don't really, you know, you don't need to open your Bible. Like he even told us to get closer to God, just go out and do something for somebody rather than open your Bible, learn about who he is. Like, that's mm-hmm. one thing, like, I think, uh, was it John Cooper that said it the best? Like, you know, me as a reformed Christian, I want to know who I'm worshiping. You know, I want to, I want to know about the God that I worship. I want to know about the God that I'm putting my faith in. And I can't do that by listening to some guy and hoping like, Hey, I hope he's right. Mm -hmm. You know, no, God gave it to me here in his book. And why don't I just open it up and read it? And that's how I can discern on what a teacher is teaching, whether it's false or not false. Um, you know, and that's just kind of like what we did. And that brought us down to a table where we started looking at other churches but the funny thing that really jumped out to me is you guys brought up John Eldridge and like, you know, putting some stuff together. I remember a sermon series 
the pastor had on Bob Goff's Love Does. Like, we didn't open our Bibles. We were reading Love Does by Bob Goff. And trust me, I love Bob Goff. I think he's a great guy. You know what I'm saying? But like on Sunday morning, I should be worshiping God. I should be diving into this book, not wondering like, hey, let me read this Love Does and see what, you know, and see how that (laughs) plays out for me. You know? Yeah. And I I was thinking of the verse. I was trying to pull it up because I've got it in my memory, but I don't remember where it was from. Uh, But it says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that when they received the word with all readiness, they went home and then search the scriptures to make sure that it was true. Mm -hmm. So it was like they were going home and going, man, let's dive into this a little bit deeper and then just trying to figure out whether what they heard was actually truth. Uh, I love the church that I go to because, I mean, our our pastor just kind of lays it bare. It's just verse by verse by verse. I mean, if he's going to get it wrong, it's going (laughs) to... It's going to be pretty obvious at some point, you know, as opposed to just sprinkling in those, those verses here and there. Well, so that's whenever people ask me, like the number of times I've been asked, Kyle, do you have a list of churches in the U S that are man friendly that are expository, you know, preachers, the guys that are looking and going verse by verse. And I was like, look, I could have a team of two dozen people and that be their only job. And it would still not be a complete list. And like, you're like, what are these people supposed to do? Check in with the church once a month to make sure that their teaching is not getting heretical. Cause there are some very prominent churches that I'll leave nameless. Cause you know, they're not really here to defend themselves at, at this exact moment, but some of their decisions that they're making about their pastors and some of their, and I think you guys know who, who I'm going to be talking about, but the decisions they make concerning their pastors, the, the, the teachers they bring in embracing of some of the woke side of theology and, and critical race theory and things like that. It's very concerning. But what I think this, this leads to, and this is kind of to, to go off of your question, Derek, is okay, how do we determine what's true or false? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I think we all agree. Go back to the scriptures. But what about subtle falsehood mm-hmm. falsehood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, well, you're a new King James new King James guy and and I'm a as you know, ESV guy and you know, he's a message guy and you're a, an ASB guy or like I gotta be the message guy. Yeah, I, for those of you <laughs> I made sure I pointed at Ryan uh, for the message thing. Uh, but like, okay, that's gonna give you at least a tent. Uh, and everything's going to be tinged in a certain right. way. And then you have people that are like, well, you know, what about, we don't have the original uh, manuscripts of any of the biblical texts. Like how can we know things? But then when you go back and piece everything together, there's nothing, you know, where there's like 98% agreement as to what the Bible is saying. None of it has to do with core foundational things about Jesus, you know, the, the triune nature of God, you know, uh, the cross or any of those types of things. It's like misspellings and different things like that. But I, I'm wondering about the subtle falsehood, because let's say you even go to an expository church where the guy's going line by line by line, you're getting his perception of it. Like here next uh, next week when we get into First Timothy 2, like I'm going to... Uh, you talk about something that was written in a commentary that I that I vehemently disagree with, mm-hmm. and this this is a guy who is who is an absolute you know he's on the pantheon like he he's on Mount Rushmore for for people in terms of Christianity, and it's like what do you do at that point? Like hey, I don't think you're right. Like I don't think what you're saying. Like I remember you know one of the last services I ever went to a live church. I remember Craig Rochelle using an example that was so out of context for the Bible, but it made perfect sense for you know week three of his five week series on how to be a good this or how to do well at whatever whatever. And I was just like, oh man, there's thousands and thousands of people that were here this weekend and they didn't catch that because either, you know, they're not in the scripture or, or they're not, you know, figuring out, you know, things, things for themselves. So, so how do we discern the subtleties or even know that, you know, maybe the, the, the pastor didn't mean to mislead us, but they did nonetheless. And that, that affects how we view the rest of scripture for the rest of time. Is that kind of making sense? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Absolutely. I, I would say I, I'll take a couple of stabs at that, Kyle. I, from my own experience, what I believe today 
is not what I believed. Not exactly step for step what I believed 10 years ago. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so I think it is um, one, like you said, testing it back to scripture because truth is a person. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. We, so we do test it back to scripture. And then two, we listen to the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Ryan, I think your story of, hey, whoa, hang on, wait a second. I realized that, and, and I'll probably add this to your story is, hey, the Holy Spirit probably brought it to your attention of, wait, we never opened the Bible. Oh, yeah. I mean. And, and so it, I, think it's a, I think it's an iterative growth leaning into the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and growing towards that sanctification. Yeah, and there's a continuity to the Bible, too. So, I mean, I, one of the things I learned when I started studying the Bible is this idea of cross-referencing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there, if it says it here, then there's going to be probably another spot, another spot, another spot that is also hitting on those same areas. You know, and I, that's one of the things I appreciate about, again about our pastor is just that he, he, he's saying, you know, here's my evidence, you know, for why I'm saying this. Here's some other thoughts of the other uh, and other things that people believe. Um, and so I'll blo- here, you can have that too, but, um, but here's why I believe what I believe. And I can point to these different areas in the Bible because it's, it's continuous. You and know? and I a, think that's a great point, Eric. I'm glad you brought that up because it, the Bible, um, if you look at Wayne Grudem's biblical um, doctrine, right? I mean, the first piece is um, the inherency of the, of the scriptures. And so scripture is not going to contradict itself. And uh, the thought that we have has to be taken against scripture as truth. Scripture is truth. It, it's not, hey, it is true. No, 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 no. It is truth. So it means everything else has to be tested against scripture to be proven true or false because scripture is the truth and it won't contradict itself throughout all of scripture. It might sound different. I heard a pastor talk off, uh, uh, often of, hey, sometimes scripture sounds like it might contradict itself until we actually understand and understand the context, context because the way that you describe um, how a baby is made can be true and sound different, depending if you're talking to a seven-year-old, a 14-year-old, compared to a medical student, right? You're going to say truths in all ways, but it might not be as detailed or as specific with one group as the other. So if somewhere in the Bible it says, um, let's take the Gospels because they generally tell the same four stories, um, everybody was there. Do you think that literally means every (laughs) single person was there, or do you think that's figurative speech, right? Um, Compared to another section that might say there were 5,000 people there, you know? So I think that's a great point, Eric. And I think one thing we have to look at too is like you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament because the Old Testament proves the New Testament. I mean, it's basically it's basically leading up to who Jesus Christ is. And then if you go and look at what Jesus did throughout his ministry, you're going to see that in the Old Testament. And so that's why you know I feel like with the you know nowadays everybody's wanting to move away from the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament seems real rough. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, God would never do that. It's like God did do it. So you're saying you there know. are people that would suggest that we unhitch oh, the Old it, Testament? Don't do it, Kyle. Don't do it. Don't do it. guys, so I've been waiting. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. So I've been waiting to pull off this Band-Aid. So, because here's the thing. The new guy here, you know, he's only, this is only his second one. So Derek here, he's a fan of Andy Stanley still to this day. We still love him. And the funny thing about that is like you and you I, you and I bonded over Andy Stanley and a lot of his ministry and a lot of his writings for years and years and years. But it was around the time of the unhitch controversy, which for guys like just just go and Google it. I don't have time to really uh, belabor it here. But basically, he he made a statement that in order for us to to convince people that the gospel is true, we need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament because of all the problematic things in the Old Testament. And 
The way he I described don't think it, that's exactly uh, what he said. Can you just let me set it up? I don't up? think can that's let, exactly. This is microphone one, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and describe <laughs> it. No, 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 dude, that's almost that. Uh, that is about as generous you, you of a description. Of it. I mean, he said the word unhitch. I'll give you your. I'll give you your moment in the sun here, but let me go ahead and set up the rest of this. And so he says that, and then uh, notably, everyone except for Relevant Mad- Magazine was mad at him for for saying that. But then he Here. doubles down in every interview after that. He doubled down in a debate against uh, Jeff Durbin on, on the unbelievable podcast over in the UK. And then he writes a book basically arguing that we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Now, I, I gave him about as much benefit of the doubt because I respected him and his ministry and it had done so much to help me grow as a Christian for so many years. What he could have said, and I feel like would have been very, very easy to say, and maybe it was pride that kept him from doing it or something like that, to say like, look, all of our faith starts with the resurrection. It's just like what I said with, you know, Galatians 2. It's like, you know, if if the law helps us be righteous, then, you know, then Christ died for nothing. So if we start there and then use that as a lens through which to read the rest of the New Testament and the entirety of the Old Testament, as Ryan said earlier, that this all is one big story that's not about us. It's actually about Jesus. But he never said that. He wouldn't just say that. I think he literally meant we don't really need the Old Testament anymore because he never, I got to give, I got to give this to Derek here. I I just want to say one thing (laughs) while you said it. He won't talk about the Old Testament because that's not what's going to bring more people into his church. That, that potentially is true. So Derek. Okay. So Andy Stanley and I, pastor Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, we're not best buds. We're not on texting terms. We're not friends. Uh, So, um, but I will say his teaching oftentimes uh, his teaching does appeal to me because it's more intellectual based than it is feels based. Sure. A, a pastor who tries to get me to feel emotional so I could draw it like it, but Andy right. lays it out in a way that's logical. Same. Um, I, I would say to your setup, I feel like, so uh, have you read Irresistible? I have not. Okay. So if you read the book, I have read the book and in the book, he actually says that exact same thing. I think um, the concept of unhitching, yeah, that's a dangerous term. Right. I understand. It's Holy Scripture. We talk, I, I just yeah. talked five seconds ago about the inherency of Scripture. It's all yeah. perfect. It's all, it, and he would also, uh, in his book, Irresistible, he also says the same thing, that it is inherent. It is perfect. Um, but his point is to your exact thing. It, if we were going to start a non-believer, we would start them in the Gospels and start in the New Covenant because that is the covenant that is the law that applies to us today, not start them in Exodus and Deuteronomy and the Mosaic law, because that law does not apply to us. Doesn't mean it's not relevant, does not mean it's not important, does not mean that it is not, um, uh, that you shouldn't teach out of it, you shouldn't understand. And Ryan, to your point, he does teach quite often out of the Old Testament. Well, here's my thing though, if we're talking about the Old Testament and you wanna bring somebody to the grace of God, through what Christ has done, isn't that the point of the law to show your depravity? Absolutely. And if you're afraid to show a, uh, uh, a person their depravity so they can find what they need through Christ, I have a little bit of an issue with yeah. that because I feel like, I mean, like, I feel like that's just like, Hey, I just want to find the most nicest way to tell you, you need Jesus rather than telling you you're a sinful person. Like Ray comfort. When I was a kid, I used to watch the Ray comfort way of the, I can't remember what it was, but it was with Kirk Cameron. I, I loved Growing Pains, and so I'd watch stuff with Kirk Cameron. I was like, that Ray Comfort guy, he's a jerk. I was like, that guy's a jerk. You see how he's talking to these people? But no, he's showing them their level of depravity and sure. why they need a savior. And if you're afraid to do that and you want to use the way of, of saying we need to unhitch that, 
I, I have issue with well, it. Okay, but unhitched. Like, like, if have you read Irresistible? No, I don't. Okay, all right. I mean, so so I, there's, I would, there's other things we can go into about I agree, Andy Samuel that I, 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 I would probably say, would read this I agree. And, but if you actually read the book that he, in your words, Kyle, doubled down on, you mm. will actually find those statements that you guys said he should use are actually in the book. One, without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith means nothing. And that's where our, that's where our faith begins is at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But why? How do we know that? Well, he, he absolutely says because of what he calls the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. And so he's saying it is very important. When he says unhitch, this is my understanding. I'm not an Andy Stanley yeah. expert, but no. when he says unhitch, he does not mean re, like take all the Bibles and cut out pages one through 683, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you look at our faith, so many, his, that whole irresistible was actually focused on pastors who don't focus on Galatians because so many pastors, and, and we've talked about this when we went through Galatians, talk about it is faith plus this. It is faith plus that. But Andy Stanley's book of Irresistible is basically the book of Galatians saying, look, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it's faith in that that all matters. Yes, the Old Testament points us towards sin, and it makes us look in the mirror, and that is the basis of our relationship with Christ. But now it's not about the law because if you keep one law, you keep the whole law. Right. Well, well, let me ask you this because to be fair, obviously you're the only one at this table unless you've read that book. Not okay. So you're it. the only one at this table that, that has read that. So obviously you are the subject matter expert All on right, that book. All right, bring it. Come on. My, my question is, is one of the reasons why I liked and respected Stanley for so long was yes, he appealed to the intellectual side and not the emotional side, but the clarity with which he communicated about every issue was astonishing to me. Yep. Like he did a, a series, I forget how many years ago, it would have been 2016, 2017. I think it was called The Nuns or something like that. Yeah, or he, right, was, yeah. he was talking right. about the nuns. It was like six weeks about, you know, and that was the first time I'd ever heard the term nuns yep. about people that are not affiliated. Uh, you know, they're, they don't consider themselves atheist or agnostic or Christian or, or Buddhist. They're nuns. They're just, they're nothing in particular. They, they could give a crap about anything in the interstellar ethereal realm or something like that. What was astonishing to me, and I'm just going to take, take you, what you said at face value and say that it's true. How could he not communicate that clearly from the pulpit when he had that, that, that sermon series was five or six weeks long? So I've got to go buy his book and read it to get him to say that, to get him to say that, hey, you know, not only is the scripture inerrant and sufficient to explain everything, but we don't need one part of the Bible more than the other. We need the totality of God's words because that's one thing I've tried to break myself of saying. It's not the Bible says, it's God says through the Bible yes. or God says through Paul in scripture or God says through Luke in scripture, something like that. So I guess that's the thing for me because, and we'll talk about this more when we get into First Timothy too, like seeing the, some of the stuff he said subsequently, like I think Trump kind of broke a lot of pastors' brains and some of the, the things that they're saying and some of the things that they're operating in. Why was that so hard to say from the pulpit? Why was that not, why was that so hard to say in the subsequent interviews and in the debates and all the things that he did? Like, I shouldn't have to buy your book to get that. You should lead with that. No, I agree. I can't, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. And then yeah. if he leads with scripture and he, and he believes the totality, the totality of the old Testament, like how come in future sermons, he, he doesn't like hold to that caliber. You know, I mean, we've talked about other sermons that they've done in the past, he's done in the past and which I agree with you on those. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, that's I mean, just my issue with him. I just feel like, that's why my issue with the seeker sensitive church is like, it, they're just trying to find the easiest way to bring people in and do numbers. And they're not discipling these people. And when it comes to church discipline, they're not disciplining them that the, the way that they should, they're letting them live the lives that they've already lived. There is real, no, ch there really isn't a change. 
you know, um, and that's, that's, I think that's the problem that we're seeing in the modern church. Yeah, sure. You know, a, steep, uh, a steeple doesn't make a church, you know, yeah. the doctrine makes a church, yep. you know, it's a, and, and we've that's talked a dirty about, word. Doctrine. Yeah, don't use doctrine. <laughs> I, I always love the pastors that are like, this is greater than doctrine. It's yeah. usually like love or something like that. It's like, hey, let's, let's, squishing, let's do like something. Love. Let's do some attribute of God that I'm going to idolize over the others, you know, and then say it's better than doctrine. Yeah, sure. I, I was thinking like, you know, even in Acts, it just says, what, what, did, what did they do? They, 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 they had doctrine, they had, they had prayer, mm-hmm. they broke bread, and they had fellowship. And so when we're thinking about like, when you're looking for a healthy church, I mean, it starts with the doctrine, but then you should also see these outworkings as well. You know, you should see the, the, uh, the worship inside, but you should see the works out on the outside as well. Oh, I agree. And, and I think one thing, like, I, mean, I grew up in a very prosperity gospel type home. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I always heard from family members is like, look how God's blessing that church. Well, how's, you know, like Joel Steen, how's he blessing Joel Steen's church with a bunch of money and a bunch of people? Is that truly the blessing? You know what I'm saying? Because I don't feel like that's the blessing. You know, there's certainly more to, to be said there with that. I think it, it all comes back to what we were talking about with verse seven is desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And I think that we could all come up with our list of, of pastors that we think have gone into this territory, whether they're pastors that we liked at one point or that we never liked or something like that. But I, I think the overall point on this first part before we move on to, to the last uh, part of first Timothy, first uh, Timothy one is the Bible has to be our standard by which we, we differentiate between good and evil, but also truth. And if we believe scripture and we believe what's revealed in scripture, we also need to believe that the Holy spirit will help us understand the scriptures. Right. And so for me, as we talked about a lot, you know, that's why I ask everybody, like, how did you become a Christian? Like, you know, how do you like study the Bible and how does your brain work? I want to read it as quickly as possible. I want to consume it as quickly as possible. And then I'm going to regurgitate it in a way that it's valuable for everybody else. That's why I listen to podcasts at two times speed. That's why I literally listen to thousands of podcasts a year. You know, uh, last year I read over 50 books, which is, which is a new record. Cause I want to distill all that down into the 10 bullet points that you need to do this particular part of your life better. But I will tell you, like I, I get just like a lot of you and, and maybe this will be a shock to you. It shouldn't be like, I get so frustrated with certain parts of the Bible where I'm like, man, am I too dumb? To understand this, like I remember when I read Carl Truman's book last year, um, I forgot the name of that one too. So here, the tonight's tonight where I forget the name of all books, but you guys know which one I'm talking about because we we had him on the show to talk about it, uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self. That's it. But that that book, like whenever I was done reading it, I'm like, am I? I think I got dumber. It's like I'm not. I don't think I was smart enough to read it, and I think I'm dumber on the back end because it was way. I was like, I was taking too big of bites. But if you believe that the Holy Spirit can actually work through you, you will. You will understand things, but you've got to do the work. That's Sorry, right. Calvinist, but you've you've got to actually do something. You have to keep coming to the word. You have to keep going, and you have to keep searching for answers. Maybe that's through going to commentaries. That's maybe through you know for, you know forging your own forging table where you're talking to people and saying, "Hey, I don't quite understand this. I need a little bit of help here." Yeah, I you know there, I remember a um, a good friend of mine, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll say a couple things here, but um, he 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 spent. 60 years memorizing verses. He must have had 60, 70% of the Bible memorized. Um, and he could just get up there and quote verses. And, you know, people would be like, well, how many verses do you know, you know, uh, Mr. Crawford? And he said, you know, I could tell you, but that's not what matters. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's not how many verses I, I know, it's how many of those verses know me. And one, one of the things I know 
I, I feel you on this whole, like, I'm, am I too stupid to understand that? I mean, the, the Holy Spirit reveals things to me through the scripture when, when the Holy Spirit is ready to reveal those things to me. Yeah. And it may be situational or whatever. I may have read it a million times, but it's, um, maybe it's just the right time, you know? And I, I feel like we are meant to spend our entire life reading and meditating, meditating, you know, that, that taking that time to ruminate and chew on regurgitate and then suck it down again and chew on it some more. And, um, in order to get some of those, those nuggets, a few nuggets, you know? Um, so. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot there to get into, but as we we get into the latter part of the first chapter of First Timothy, I you know, and we can go back if you guys see some other things, but in verses you know twelve through seventeen, we see we basically see Paul being very humble throughout this entire period. He calls himself an insolent opponent, a you know a blasphemer, a persecutor, and, you know, saying he was the foremost of the the sinners against uh, Christ Jesus, and so. You know, I like the fact that he doesn't take it easy on himself, and and I think to a degree, some people would maybe quabble or quibble uh, with this. <laughs> yes. Is uh, that's for the people that have been following the forging table for a while? Not but a verses back. twelve through seventeen, um, somebody, maybe a, a psychologist, clinical psychologist, or a therapist, or a counselor might be like, "Oh man, that's some really bad self talk there. Like that's not really good." Because I tell people all the time, I think shame is a tremendous motiva- motivator. I think we don't use shame enough as a motivator. I think if you make bad decisions, you should be shamed for it because it's the shame that you feel that will keep you from making those bad decisions in the future. That's how a lot of people are wired. But in, in here, his his self talk is so unbelievably negative in terms of how we see it in the world. But in terms of good theology, you want to talk about good theology? He doesn't say, man, I used to be a bad guy, but gosh, I'm crushing it now. Like you should see all the great things I've been doing. Have you seen some of these letters I've been sending around? Yeah. Bro, like Timothy, like, come on. Like you, you want to touch me the next time we're in the same room? Cause I'm awesome. But no, he, he, he leaves no room for that. So I really, really appreciate that section. But moving into to verses 18 and part of 19, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Um, and so some uh, some different, uh, oh gosh, what's the word? Like different translations. Uh, they'll say fighting the good fight. So if you've ever used that phraseology before, yeah, you know, fight the good fight, this is where it comes from. It comes from uh, the first letter of, from Paul to Timothy. But wage the good warfare. I, I love that. I highlighted it. I underlined it like wage the good warfare, because basically what he's saying here to Timothy is persevere for the sake of the gospel. Like that's why you're doing this, but do it with integrity. Yeah. So there are times when you can persevere. And when you look behind you, it's wreckage. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, you know, we talked about personalities, uh, tests on, on the last, on last week, it's like every personality test I've ever taken, whatever aggressive animal is that tramples all the other animals, that's the animal I am. So I'm the rhino, like I'm the hippopotamus or whatever the thing is. And there are times when you just need to burn it, you know, burn it down and walk away and kind of let someone else deal with the ashes. Like I told y'all when I get asked to come speak to, to other people's churches, like, look, I don't live here. And I tell the pastors beforehand, I was like, I'm going to burn this thing down and walk it away. Y'all better have a plan for the ashes. Cause you know, you, you're going to have to pay me to have me come back. Like, so like, let's make sure that we got a plan in place, but the making sure that you're not just fighting war for war's sake, mm-hmm. you're doing it for the sake of the gospel, but you are doing it with integrity because when you fight wars with integrity, that's the difference between how the United States wages war and how a country like Russia wages war. Like we're trying to put a bomb in a window. They're trying to put a bomb in a grid on a map. And so, you know, a lot, and again, you could, you could extrapolate that out to a lot of, you know, atrocities that Americans have done, but I'm just using it as in, in terms of broad strokes, it's going to affect how you fight. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really important point that is made here by Paul. 
Well, and, and this is a this is a, a Paul Timothy relationship is that mentoring relationship that we've been mm-hmm. talking about um, here. And and if 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 Timothy's going into war, you know, he's got to be prepared. And mm-hmm. so part of what Paul has been doing uh, through his mentorship is preparing him for war. Because nobody's just going to go into war willy-nilly, kind of like what you're alluding to. We're you're going to go into it hopefully with a plan and a strategy, you know, and 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 with with the right equipment and uh, weapons. No. But you're also going to go into it with the right heart. You know, it's like we've been going back and forth about Andy Stanley. You know, I'm not trying to one up Andy Stanley. I'm not trying to bring Andy Stanley down. I want Andy Stanley, you know, I want to see his people grow. Sure. I want to see his ministry grow in the right way. Same with Joel Olstein, the same with, you know, anybody who might have an issue with somebody. I want to, I, if I say something, I need to come with a heart of, Hey, you know, I want to see God work through this, not just, Hey man, I want to go and make something funny on Facebook or have a, a quip on Twitter and just tear the whole thing down. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to have your heart ready for that. You know, where's your heart at when you're going to war against, you know, he's basically going to war against fellow believers. And that's, that's got to be tougher than going to war with the world. So I, I got to wonder too, why did he use the language of warfare in this letter? And I didn't have this thought until you were talking, Eric, where it's like, does obviously Paul knows Timothy better than anybody else at this table knows Timothy. Does Paul think that Timothy might be a little bit soft? He's young. Where, yeah, so, so he's young. He's young. young and he's unproven. You know, well, at this time, like, I think there's relative peace in the region, so we can't assume that, you know, Timothy was a soldier at some point or something like that. It, there, I, there seems like there's some intentionality between how he words this, especially as we continue working through First Timothy. It's almost like he's trying to say, like, hey, bro, you need to gird your loins. Like, right, it, yeah, it's, it's time right. to go to war. And I don't mean, you know, with fists and elbows and swords and chainmail. Like, I mean, we're going to war in the spiritual realms here, and if you're not ready for it, you're going to burn up, son. Well, if you look at how Paul sets up his churches, he sets it up with an elder board. And usually that elder board is filled with, you know, older men. That's just got, as dirty as the word doctor. And how yeah, dare you talk sorry. about elders? Yeah. God. Elders. God. So judgy. Uh, um, but no, like he's going up against, you know, older men, you know, and he's a young guy. You know, he's still probably young in his faith at this point, you know. And so, you know, he's got to He's got to be ready to go to battle for the truth because, you know, that's that's God put him in that place. It's just like, he's Gideon, you know, and, uh, he's feeble and he's young and he's going up against some lions and he's got to be ready. So when I look at this, I, I, again, I agree, Kyle, like, why is he using the word or the verbiage of war? Um, and, and you look back at Paul's life and you almost think, well, sure. It, it would feel like war to Paul based on the circumstances that he went through, the situations that he went through. And I think he wants Timothy or I'm interpreting this as him wanting Timothy to take understanding the calling that's upon him and understand the seriousness of it and how extreme it can be. And also you look at warfare is how long until the war is won, right? And so, hey, this is not a quick battle. You're not going to be in and out situations, Ryan, like you were talking about, setting up a church and putting an elder board, and then you have false believers who come in and and move and, and try and steer that church, or everybody's trying to take back um, the bride of Christ, which is the church. No, 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 this is war. And so you have to focus and approach it with that intensity and that expectation that it could take as long as it takes. And Timothy's like, he's setting up this church for Paul. And uh, I, I heard a story from Paul Washer. Oh, I love Paul Washer. Um, and he was talking about how he had some big guys. He goes, these were big guys that came into my church and said, hey, we're prophets, you know, and uh, we want to talk to your congregation. 
you know, and he's like, Hey, that's great. We've never had profits come in before. You know, he's a sensationalist like I am, you know, but you know, he wanted to set something apart. He's like, you know what? You guys are welcome to come and talk to my congregation, you know, but I'm going to need you to be here for about six, six months to a year. Let me see what fruit you guys bear and, and what your teaching looks like and, 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 and how you guys are. And then I'll let you up on stage to, to talk to my, my congregation. They did not like, you know, and so that's what he's going into. He's now rebuilding this church in Ephesus. You know, he's pulling some people out. I think it was who it was, uh, Alexander Mm -hmm. and Hymenius, whom he all handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme, you know? And so, I mean, there's two guys you're going to have to pull out right there, you know, but like, if I, like, I think that's what we're looking for in church leadership. It's like, if one of these guys falls rather than the church, try to cover their wounds, pull them right out, you know, pull them out and find something and change that, you know, and let those guys rebuild. You know what I'm saying? But I think people are going to find more, they're going to believe more in, in what you teach biblically. If you can call it out where you see it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, and I was just thinking, and this may be totally off, but I was just wondering if, you know, that when all the Jews were looking for a king to come in and overthrow the Romans oh, and yeah. all that and set up, you know, the kingdom and all of that sort of thing. So I wonder if that's not a somewhat, somewhat a play off of that. Because now you have the gospel, you know, Jesus came, he died, he resurrected. Now we have the gospel and the Holy Spirit waging, waging battle. Uh, so it doesn't look like what the Jews thought it would look like, but it, it's still war. Yeah, Right, which, which led me, I, I mean, I took a note there about, hey, this looks like and is evidence of Paul referencing to me spiritual warfare. Yeah. Right? That, hey, there is, there is a spiritual realm that we don't see with our earthly eyes. And it, he even alludes to it there at the last verse of chapter one. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned this, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Yeah. What does that mean? He let them over to their own deeds, you know? He let Satan take over well, and I, until I th- they learn. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. And I think, Derek, to your point, and really to the point that all of us are making about this section, I want us to keep, I want us to keep this part in mind as we go into the second chapter of First Timothy, because wage the good warfare, and most, most commentaries and most biblical scholars would say like, hey, he's wanting you to wage war against the people that are going to be enemies of the gospel. And it's how do we do that? Because some people think that's with actual fists and, and actual things like that. There are some people that think that means, hey, we want to hold a bunch of signs up outside of these people's businesses or establishments or something like that. And that's how we get our voice heard. Some people would say, hey, it's going to be legislation that we, we, you know, we get people in the office and then, you know, they, they treat things in this particular way. Some people are going to get into a discussion of sphere sovereignty and, you know, hey, this is what, you know, Romans 13 actually means and those types of things. So I want us to keep that in mind. And that may, that's probably a good place to, to leave First Timothy 1 unless somebody's got it, someone else, something else to come in here. Because I think First Timothy 2, it's one of the shortest chapters uh, in terms of how they've broken up chapters, but there's so much there. So, so guys, I want to make sure that, you know, even though we're going to have to leave First Timothy 1 here, spend some time really digging into First Timothy 2. And I want you to keep that wage a good, wage the good warfare or fight the good fight. I want you to keep that in mind when you read the very first few verses of chapter two, because I think that's going to make a big bit of difference. So again, guys, come back next Sunday where we'll dig into first Timothy two, make sure that you read that. So you are prepared for next week. Before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link in there for our donation page, guys. If you didn't know this, we are mainly supported by donors. It's guys just like you giving 10 bucks a month, 25, 
five bucks a month, a hundred bucks a month or more to help us to be able to equip men around the globe to push back darkness. Everything we do costs money. Everything we do takes a lot of time and we need your guys' buy-in so that we can continue to do that. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.